Wanted to find out and ask you if you've ever made a bad decision in your life. Probably you have. Oh, you have raised your hand. <laughs> um, you know, making bad decisions is a pretty common part of the human experience. But we don't, you know, it's not common. We don't always learn from the experience when we, we make a bad decision. So we're starting a brand new message series today. So you've come on a good day. We're starting a new topic this summer. This series is called How to Make a Bad Decision. And you're like, maybe, I'm like, I already know that. <laughs> well, we're looking at this because, um, well, partly we're going to look at four of the worst decisions, some, some of the worst decisions made in the Bible. We're going to look at those in this series. And, and the reason we're doing this is sometimes when you look at, and you kind of analyze a bad decision and what led up to it and what happened after it, um, we can actually uncover the steps. And so that way, uh, by God's help, we can learn how do we make wise decisions and not repeat the things that have happened? And what's God's angle on those steps? During different periods of my life, I've, I've made, um, sometimes I make the same kind of bad decision over and over again. And unless, you know, we, we figure out how to stop making the same bad decision, we just, it's kind of, we kind of repeat things. Sometimes it's like living on a Ferris wheel. And Ferris wheels, they can be fun and relaxing when you're at an amusement park. But, you know, this guy, it's like he's not looking too excited to be, on, you know, going back and forth over and over again. God doesn't want us to get stuck on a Ferris wheel of bad decisions. Um, because if you get stuck repeating things, that's a real bummer. And you can, or just keep hitting the same problems over. Um, so if life is like this, making the same mistake over and over again, it's like you're living the same year uh, with the same view. And we just, we stay, we stay in those same things. Actually, the Bible talks about this dynamic in graphic terms. It's kind of gross, actually, it's, <laughs> but it's, it's in the Bible. Proverbs 26, 11 says, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Like, oh, that's weird. That's, that's in the Bible. That's kind of a weird verse. It's kind of gross, but it's actually, it's probably graphic on purpose to help us like realize, man, it is a pretty awful thing when we just repeat our same foolishness over and over again. So as we talk about these four stories, one each week, uh, we're going to mine God's wisdom in the Bible so that we can stay off the Ferris wheel and really progress in life. When I was a kid, I was part of a ministry that did missions trips around New York. I grew up in in upstate New York, and uh, I was part of this program, and we would travel around, and we would uh, do events and camps at churches, and it was a way for kids and families to it would help connect people to church. And so we would travel around. I'd do sometimes weekend trips, sometimes overnighters, and my parents sent me on one trip, and I, the team was dri we were all driving through the night to this church that was far away, and we had to stop at a gas station late at night so they could fill up. And I had some money in my pocket. My parents gave me a few dollars. And so I'm like, oh, I want a treat at the gas station. And as usual, it took me ages to decide what I wanted. I'm like, I walk in, like usually kids don't have this much power, like walk into a gas station, like, man, what am I gonna buy? And so I finally decided to use my $2 on a hot chocolate. And you know, those old machines that they have where you push the button, it's like grinds up some powder. I don't know how they make it, but it comes out and uh, I'm, I'm working on that. And it's taken a long time, and I, I realize I'm the last one in the gas station. I'm like, come on, like, I, just, I just want this drink so bad. And I could have abandoned my drink project 
and just gone back out. But I was really invested at this point. I had made my decision and I rushed to pay. I get the hot chocolate, I go outside and I had been left at the gas station in the middle of the night, just a kid. I found, you know, found out later, everyone piled back in the vehicle and uh, a lot of people were kind of tired and sleepy and people were like dozing off. No one really noticed that I wasn't there. And so I'm, I'm, we're in the middle of nowhere. This is like, we're way out there, late at night. I'm a kid by myself at a sketchy gas station. And I was like freaking out. I like, I like, I didn't know what to do. I tried to like, is there like a payphone? I couldn't figure out how to make that work. I didn't really want to talk to the clerk inside because I didn't want anybody to know that I was there by myself. I tried to hide. I was like freaking out. And I was like, man, this stupid hot chocolate. Like, oh, like, did I, did I have to pick that? Did I have to stay there? And so finally someone had noticed, like, where's Bruce? So they turn around, they come back and they pick me up. And God spared me from any really bad things happening that night. Praise the Lord. And, uh, you know, I was mad. I was mad at the hot chocolate. But really, it was I, my stomach and my, my appetite was guiding my decision, my decision making at that time. It was actually my desire to like really go after that goal that put me in a dangerous place. It wasn't the hot chocolate's fault. It was my own dumb decision, really. And today we're going to read from the Bible a place where a guy named Esau made a decision to trade his birthright for a bowl of stew, <laughs> which is not, not a whole lot better than what I did. And uh, it's kind of funny. Making decisions by your appetites and by the stomach Apparently, that's been happening for centuries. <laughs> Apparently, people are guided by the, what they want to eat or drink, and uh, that's, that's a common experience, which I, th I think sometimes, um, I think the marketers know this too, because, you know, sometimes if you can get, if a place can get you subscribed, like Panera's got this uh, subscription deal where you get free coffee every day you go in or drinks, and um, at first I'm like, man, like it's like they're just giving away stuff, but they probably know that people will change around their schedules to get like what feels like a free drink because people are just led by their appetites and their stomachs and their desires. And so like they've keyed on to a, a key part of the human experience here. But we're gonna start by reading from Genesis. This is the first book in the Bible. And the story about Esau, which we're gonna, we're gonna jump into, it's, it's really, we're, here's what we're gonna take away from this. Thinking in the short term makes us pay a high price in the long term. This relates to our decision-making. Um, there may be actually decisions that you're making where maybe you're just tempted to really think about the short-term factors. Well, all right, so when, before we get in, let me just, I'll comment that Esau and Jacob, two guys that were twin brothers, but they didn't look alike. So one, Esau was a big hairy hunter. They said he had red hair right out of the womb. I don't know if you've ever seen like hairy babies come right out. He came out with red hair. And Jacob was much less hairy. And uh, as they grew older, Jacob liked hanging around at home. Esau liked being out hunting. And it doesn't seem like they had the greatest relationship. So these two brothers, you know, you, you kind of see their relationship come to play here. But in uh, chapter 25, starting in verse 29, it says, Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field exhausted. He said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stuff because I'm exhausted. And that is why he was also named Edom. So Esau was probably out all day hunting, but maybe he brought back nothing. Or maybe he brought some, he got like some small game or something, but it was going to take time to skin it and cook it and get it all prepared. And he's, he's just starving and tired. And so the first component of this horrible decision that he made 
is that he made it a, a big decision when he was exhausted. And if you're following along, you can write this down. You may, you may be able to identify with this. When I'm tired and I'm hungry, well, you can get, I can get hangry. <laughs> Sometimes I get home from, from work, I'm just ready for dinner right away. But really, that's, those, are, those are not the times to make major decisions. Really, when you're, when you're exhausted, that's not the time for anybody to make a big decision. Um, when, we're, when we're exhausted, we tend not to see things very clearly. Our mind can get foggy. Honestly, I, I, can get, I can feel easily overwhelmed by things that I normally would approach with greater confidence if I'm feeling really exhausted. Um, I can be tempted to uh, fix a problem, uh, and re- but, but do it in a, just a really simple way when overlook some of the important aspects of a decision. So, uh, you know, if I take time to step away from a decision, get a good night's sleep, uh, things look much more clear in the morning. But Jacob, in this situation, he probably knew he had an opportunity to capitalize here. And he replied, he says, first, sell me your birthright. And that's like a, that's like a, that's a big exchange all of a sudden. Jacob, all right, he's a crafty guy. And he saw an opportunity here. They had probably, one commentator said, they probably had talked about this birthright issue before. Now, it probably wasn't totally out of nowhere um, because it was something that Jacob wanted and something that Esau didn't seem to care much about. And so Jacob would kindly sell a bowl of fresh hot soup if Esau would give him his birthright. And earlier in the story, we read that Esau, when they were born, so they were twins, Esau came out first. But when they were born, Jacob was holding on to his heel when they came out of the womb. That was a sign of things to come. Actually, that's where Jacob got his name. It was it's kind of like the way uh, his name Jacob, it's got this idea of like, you know when a, a wrestler may try to get an advantage over his opponent by grabbing his heel? That's, that's how Jacob was as an infant, and that's how their relationship played out. And so, uh, uh, look, said Esau. I'm about to die, so what good is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to Jacob and sold his birthright to him. All right, so here we have the second component of this really bad decision. The decision was hasty. Esau's decision was hasty. And, uh, you know, when Esau says, hey, I'm, I'm about to die, that seems a bit dramatic. <laughs> don't you think, I don't know if you've ever been there, you're so hungry, you can lose your patience and be like, I'm, st- I'm literally starving right now. And then my kids will be like, well, if you were starving, you'd be on the verge of death. Like, you can't literally be starving. No. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been there, you've made a hasty decision, you just made a quick decision because maybe, well, maybe it's not just your appetite, but maybe it's your emotions, maybe it's your attitudes or, or your wants or needs or desires are pulling you like gravity into unreality. A major factor in making good decisions is to be in touch with what's really going on. And if we're gonna make good, solid decisions, we have to overcome the the tendency for our internal state to drive us. Actually, that song that we just sang a minute ago, um, in the bridge of Christ Be Magnified, it says, we sing, I won't be formed by feelings. I actually really love that lyric and lyrics like that. A lot of, sometimes a lot of songs are very emotionally driven, but it's true. We're, we're not going to be formed by feelings. There, there's something that needs to be guiding us that's much different than just our emotions. Our ability to get in touch with reality is a major factor if we're going to prosper in life or not. 
and God wants to show us how do we get past ourselves to make good decisions. Um, the third component of this bad decision is that he had a wonky view of what's truly important. <laughs> I don't know if you use the word wonky. I actually really like it. <laughs> wonky, it means, it means it's all mixed up. His value structure, it was twisted around. It was out of order. Things were in the wrong place for him. Here's what it says in verse 34. Jacob gave bread and lentil stew to Esau. He ate, drank, got up, and went away. So Esau despised his birthright. It's interesting that it says that he despised his birthright. What comes along with that is a lot of spiritual and relationship implications more like less tangible stuff. So it seems like Esau didn't really care about the intangible things quite so much. He cared about physical things like food and meat and stew and hunting and being outside. That's what he really cared about. So that, so, okay, this is why it's kind of wonky. This is why he's kind of mixed up. This birthright, this was a really big deal in his day. Since he was the firstborn, it meant that if anything happened to the father, this number one son would become the leader of the family and inherit everything that the family owned or most of it. And also, uh, he would receive twice of the inheritance of the younger brother. And besides all of that, since, since this birthright did switch over to Jacob, this incredible story of the history of the nation of Israel and the lineage of Jesus Christ flows through Jacob now, not through Esau. This is, this, there's actually really, really big spiritual implications that Esau did not care about at all. He was just totally unconcerned about the spiritual stuff. So this horrible decision in the story was he traded his inheritance for a bowl of stew. Decisions don't get much worse than that. <laughs> you can buy, you can buy like an eight pack of stew at Costco for like $14. <laughs> Prices are going up, but it's still pretty cheap. Isn't it true, though, that some people, and some of us, we can, sometimes we can live our whole lives and neglect to ponder some of these spiritual and eternal implications of life. Now, and sometimes we can, we can go so focused on physical stuff, the daily life, you know, the food and, and the cars and my job and how we get here and there. And sometimes we can have a wonky set of values, too. How many people in our city value the temporary, short-term things in life over the long-term things of greater significance, especially the eternal things? So here's an interesting detail from Esau's story. He gained a nickname from his decision. And so if we go back to verse 30, it says, um, he's like, let me eat some of that red stuff. The stew was sort of red in color. He had red hair. Um, he says, I'm exhausted. But that's why he was also named Edom. Um, Edom means red in Hebrew, and basically, because of this whole thing of him trading his birthright for red stew, he gets this nickname. Actually, the, the nation of Edom is, becomes, it flows out of his lineage. So he gets, he actually, he becomes marked by this bad decision. He makes a bad decision, it impacts everything, and this is how people remember him. I don't know if you've ever made a decision that has marked you deeply. Maybe your, your family or your friends, maybe, you, maybe they've known about it and they've given you a nickname about it. Or maybe you don't have a nickname, but there are some decisions that you, you've made that have led to either pain or regret, or you wish you could go back. 
to become a part of your identity and you don't, you don't know how to shake that, that part of who I am or that part of my story. You feel like you can't get away from it. Well, here is the good news. Jesus wants to give you a fresh new start with a whole new identity. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, jumping to the New Testament, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. If you decide to follow Jesus Christ, he gives you a new identity and uh, he shows you a better way to live. And if we trust and trust our lives to him, he promises to give us what we need to, need to anchor our identity in him, not in our past, not in our decisions, not in things that we're trying to become. This is, there's a tremendous amount of freedom in that. So God wants the frustration that we feel. Sometimes you, you've made mistakes or you've blown it, you have your regret and you feel frustrated or you feel discouraged. Well, he, wa he wants us to use those frustrating or insecure feelings to drive us to him, to help us to connect with him and to really seek him and to follow him. And we, do, we decide to give our lives to Christ. We decide to follow him. He becomes Lord of every slice of our life, then we're connected to God and we're given that new identity. He begins to help us to grow away from bad decisions and actually we can start learning from them. What, what an amazing thing to learn from the bad decisions so we can get off that Ferris wheel. And God can use even our worst decisions for good and for the good of others if we're humble enough to, to let him do that. So if you've been marked by a bad decision or or some like life-determining, altering decision. It doesn't have to define who you are. And it doesn't have to predict a dismal future for you. Jesus can redeem the regret that we feel. So we're going to turn a corner here because we've looked at this story of Esau and his bad decision, but God has given us a tremendous amount of wisdom in the Bible, and especially in the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, for making really good decisions and getting guidance that we need. So here are some key proverbs that show us how to overcome short-term thinking. So just to recap where we're at in, in this series. So we're looking at four different ways to make a bad decision. Today is this idea of looking only at the short-term things, just the things right in front of us, being driven maybe by desires. And so how do we overcome this particular trap that we can fall into of short-term thinking? Well, one of them, one of the ways is to become circumspect. This is a word that we don't use a lot in common language. It appears in the Bible and it appears in the dictionary too. Circumspect. Here's what it says in the dictionary. It means to carefully consider all circumstances and possible consequences. Another word for this is prudent. Now this is a good thing. If you think like, oh, I want to make decisions and I want to carefully factor all of the possibilities that could come out of this. That's actually, a God actually wants us to think this way. And uh, the Bible says this in Proverbs 14, 8, the wisdom of the prudent, there's that word prudent, is to give thought to their ways. For us to actually not just act, not just go short term, not just be driven by emotions or feelings or appetites, but to actually give thought to what I'm going to do. I've lived a lot of my life not being prudent. <laughs> actually, a lot of times I, thinking about all the implications feels like a lot of work. <laughs> and I'd Honestly, I'd rather just quick decisions go and not have to think about it. And uh, one area where I've failed to think this way often is when it comes to hiking. I have a knack for leading people into wilderness situations because I haven't really thought about all the implications. And, uh, or like, or uh, like a hike will just sound, um, 
I'll just make it sound less intense on the front end and bring people into situations that they're not ready for. So one time I went on a hike with my kids and uh, some of our extended family. And I, it was a hike that I, we, we needed a place to hike and we're out, we're driving around, hey, let's go for a, a nice walk. Actually, I probably should have called it a walk, not a hike, because that probably would have helped me go in a better direction. But um, I remembered a hike that I did with some guys that were my age and it was great. It was a really good view. And I wasn't thinking about how it would be different going with people that were a couple decades younger than me and a couple decades older than me. And so after about an hour of this walk, hike, wilderness trek, we were, uh, we, we were pretty deep in. It was like you, you go in and there's not like other ways out. You have to, as far in as you go, that's how far out you have to come. And so we're, we're pretty deep in there. It's, by this time it's really hot, full sun. There's like no shade. There's no bathrooms. There's more than one person that has to go to the bathroom. And it's not like an easy go pee on a tree solution. You know, so we're, we're, we've got that problem. One of my kids tripped, hurt her knee, and so she's melting down. So now I, I've got a, I'm trying to carry multiple kids on me. I actually got a picture of, of me trying to like get through this hike. And uh, nobody's smiling in this picture, by the way. I don't know if you can see it. And uh, this is actually, if you ask Erin about it, she's like, she refers to this, she's like, oh, that's the hike that I thought we were all gonna die in the desert. <laughs> so, and I'm, and I'm actually thinking, I was like, man, we're, we're pretty far into this, and I'm not, I'm not 100% sure this is gonna end well. Um, there's no good solution. I brought us here, there's no good solution, except we all just have to get out. We all just have to walk out somehow. And uh, all of this because I didn't think through all of the possible consequences. This was not, this choice, for, there's a lot of places you can walk in Santa Clarita that are really pretty. I didn't think through, I didn't use a prudent decision-making process here. And part of the reason I went on this one is because I liked it. It's got a really good view, uh, it's an exciting hike, there's this nice, well I, I like stuff like this where you have to go up really high. And uh, it was really just a short-term decision that appealed to me. So prudent, in Proverbs, it's the word that describes somebody that has common sense and good judgment. So if I, so you, we were ask ourselves this question, if I do this thing, what will be the outcome? If I don't do that, what, what possible things could happen? What impact will I have on my relationships or my finances? I'd like to share a practical process that you can use to maybe slow down and think through some ramifications of a decision that you might need to make. This is a process that you can use in decisions that are even bigger than you know where to hike than this example I've given. Maybe you've got a decision um, that's maybe more of a weighty decision or a bigger uh, impact in your life, and maybe maybe you're needing to make a decision. So here's a process from a book uh, written by an author named Susie Welch. She's a columnist and author, and she says to use the 10-10-10 process. Here's a way to make decisions. She says, when you think about a decision, think about it in terms of 10 minutes, 10 months, and 10 years. So, if I, if I, if I make that decision, let's say it's a purchase. Right? If I make this purchase, um, what, will, what will be the impact in the next 10 minutes from now? What will be the impact if I have that thing 10 months from now? Um, what will be the impact 10 years from now? Will it even matter? Or will it be, you know, or if it's a, about a relationship, or about an opportunity or a job change. There's all kinds of, like what would be the impact? It really helps us stretch out because normally the short-term thinking that we tend to do so easily, this helps us get past short-term. 
Um, you know, 10-minute decisions, sometimes there's like really bad 10-minute decisions, like a risky selfie that could cost you your life. Here's a, you know, there's, a, there's approximately, um, there's approximately 100 people that die in our national parks every year because many, and, and many of them happen on, when people are taking selfies or pictures on steep trails or with really pretty views. This is a, uh, the national park that we went to in June, just a couple weeks ago, it's in Maine. And this is a trail that I really wanted to go on. <laughs> and uh, we, I was like, should, should we go? It was like an anniversary trip for me and Aaron. And I was like, I don't know if this is good. I was actually trying to be circumspect in this time. We asked one of the rangers about it. She's like, well, people do fall. And I'm like, okay, let's find another amazing trail that's not so dangerous. <laughs> and um, this is, so that, that's, that's an example of a 10 minute decision. Oh, that like, picture seems so amazing. I just gotta do that. Well, think, like stretch it out. What, what are the possible <laughs> things that could happen from that? Other 10 minute decisions, maybe, maybe a, a quick short term response would be getting really upset and quitting your job without having another one that you're going to. That could have some implications. Or leaving the house in the middle of an argument with your spouse. Those are just things that we fire off that may have a longer impact. We typically only think about 10 minutes out. Sometimes we think 10 months, but we very rarely think 10 years out. So this author, she says every, we could ask, we could ask a question, you know, with these decisions, you know, with a, like a, you know, should I do this or that? Should Esau could have asked, should I have sold my birthright or should I sell my birthright for a bowl of soup? Should I quit my job? Should I buy the house with a really great backyard but the leaky roof? Or sh should I stay in this relationship or end it? Should I sign my kid up for that sport? There's lots of decisions that we make all the time. We can run through this process. We can slow down, take time to think through, really, what is the core decision that I'm needing to make? And what are the consequences in these different time periods? And of course, we, we don't know what's gonna happen in 10 months, but you could, you could reasonably predict possibilities 10 months from now. And 10 years, that represents a future that none of us can see. We know, nobody knows 10 years out, but it really forces us to think about possible consequences. And we can really wrestle with those before we actually walk into them. So this is just, uh, it's a tool, it's a possible way to become prudent and circumspect. It's a way, like Proverbs says, to give thought to our ways. This is actually a command, you give thought to our ways. It can help us look carefully from different angles. Another way to overcome short-term thinking is to face reality. When making decisions, sometimes we just need the courage to call it what it is, face reality directly, um, we've got to avoid making wrong assumptions and the temptation to make up our own reality. If we actually look at that verse again, Proverbs 14, 8, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. The second half says this, but the folly of fools is deception. The folly of fools, just, just foolishness that we can do. That's referencing a lazy, selfish approach to life. It's, it's just, like I said, it's a lot of work to check the facts. Financial decisions can be like that, especially when you really get the, the burn or the desire for a new gadget or to, to, to buy something, you know, something in life that just is promised to make life easier for us. 
it can be very tempting to not look at the big, big picture. The problem with fools is the deception that we, we sometimes just buy and walk right into. A big, really big key on this one, facing reality, is that other people can help us greatly with this. Sometimes you're looking at a decision and you're doing your best to figure it out and you're even praying on your own, but you're not talking to anybody. Man, there are some people in your life that could help you to see it in a different way. They might actually be able to help you see around the deception that you can't see around. We need people. Sometimes we get caught up in an idea, especially if you get real excited about it. Man, we need people that we can trust to tell us the truth. People, either people that know us well and say like, oh, I can see the direct, you've done that before. I've seen you make that kind of decision before. Or maybe they don't know us well, but it's a person that knows something related to that type of decision. Or it's a person that uh, has more experience with that kind of decision. Those people can help us get away from, from the folly that can be so easy for us to walk into. My wife, Erin, is really good at being circumspect. She's the person, she actually probably, all that, that stuff with the hike, she probably saw it coming a mile away. <laughs> um, at first, sometimes I'd want to make a decision or I'd have a bright idea and I would feel like she was bursting my bubble. I'm like, no, come on, stop raining on my, my decisions. And then I realized she's actually thinking through implications for, for things that I want to do. And uh, because of that, she's become an, a very valuable teammate for me in life. And um, I, don't know, I don't know if you've ever avoided asking input because like, oh, they're probably gonna like say something I don't wanna consider. Like, ah, I don't really want the input. Sometimes I feel that way, like, ah, I don't want the input because it might burst my bubble. But you know what, maybe that's the time when you most need to ask for some input and allow people to speak into your life. One more principle from Proverbs to overcome short-term thinking is don't be hasty. Proverbs 19.2 says, It's not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. Haste is costly. It's a recipe for missing the right opportunities that could stabilize life and could dive us into things that could ruin, bring, a, bring a lot of ruin. So we need to slow down because thinking in the short term has a high price in the long term. If all we ever do is think in the short term, we have a lot of long-term damage to walk through. Esau despised his birthright in haste. He just got real hasty in that decision, just for a bowl of lentil soup. And then he forfeited something really valuable to him and to his kids, really generations of his family to come. One key to getting the most out of life is to focus on what matters the most in the current decision Esau was hasty and he missed it. He really missed seeing the really valuable things. God himself wants to walk with you. God wants to help you along in life, in your decisions. He can help you learn from your bad decisions. God wants to redeem your past. Well, we've got to trust him with our lives. To redeem, that word redeem, it means to buy back. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our past and our regrets and God would love to give us, he gives us an opportunity at having a bright future to walk into and to look forward to. So I'd like to ask you to consider taking a next step this morning. As we've talked about these different ideas about decision-making from the Bible, go ahead and grab that connection card that you have in your 
um, your, that you began filling out earlier in service. You can take time filling that out. And as you do, um, you, might, uh, you might even write a prayer request, a way that we can be praying for you and maybe a decision that you have or you just need some guidance of some kind or we can support you in prayer. Um, but think through a next step that you might take. One, one next step might be to run a, one of my current decisions through the 10-10-10 process. Maybe just take a few minutes to, to figure out what would be the implications. Or another next step that you might take this week is to ask somebody to help me think through implications. Sometimes we just go in our own cave and just I'll just go figure it out on my own, and then when I've made my decision, I'll come and proclaim my decision. Well, we could actually bring people into the decision-making process. That would be a really great next step. Another one might be to get the facts about what it means to follow Jesus personally. Maybe you've never yet crossed the line of faith and decided to yield your life to him. That would be, uh, you could learn more about that. And actually on your connect, that connection card, you could let us know you'd be interested in learning more about that. Another next step might be to attend next Sunday, to join with us as we continue this series. Um, and as Barry had mentioned earlier in the service, you might consider attending the membership class that we have. It's a little bit of a longer class, but it gives an idea of who we are and where we're headed and how you can team with us. Uh, a decision to commit to a church body, that's a pretty significant one. That's one with spiritual and relational implications. Um, so this whole series that we're walking through, I'm hoping that it's helpful to you and relevant to what you're walking through. There's this big principle that we'll touch on each week, and uh, here's, the, here's the principle. Reality has teeth. <laughs> and decisions have consequences. In our decision-making, we often see the reality that we want to see. You look at your life, and you look at your decisions, and you think, ah, oh, this is going to work out. No one wakes up and says, I think I'm going to make a decision that's going to wreck my life today. <laughs> no one wakes up and says, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to destroy my finances in one blow. Nobody says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wreck my relationship with that person or a coworker or my kid or my parents. Nobody, said, nobody wakes up and decides that, but people do that all the time. People make damaging decisions all the time. It's because we tend to think reality works the way we want it to, and reality doesn't work the way that we think. It's got teeth, actually. And our decisions, have, they come with consequences. So that's why a series like this, how do, how do we make good decisions in life? That's why this is so helpful. And next week, we're going to look at another really bad decision in the Bible. It's a guy who was driving off a cliff, and other people could see it. And for some reason, he couldn't see it. In fact, he didn't want to see it. His problem, it wasn't this thinking in the short term. It was, it was he, just had, he had a different decision-making problem. We're going to look at that. And it's, it's interesting because sometimes we can, sometimes you see people heading for a cliff, they're about to make a decision, and you'd be like, like hey, that's, you're, he you're headed for a cliff. Don't do that. I, anybody can see that's a bad decision. Well, next week's message might be helpful because sometimes we're the ones heading for a cliff, and we can't see it. So how do, how do we get around that problem? I hope you join us next week for that. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your guidance and your care for us. And just the incredible hope that we have that our bad decisions from the past don't have to define us. And that you give us a new life. You turn us into a new creation and give us a bright future. 
Help us to see with wisdom. Help us to apply the wisdom of your word to our lives and begin to see reality the way that you've designed it. Would you use our church to help many people grow in you, to become rooted in Christ? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.